Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 20. And if let's stand together as we read the scripture. John chapter 20. And we're going to start in verse 1 and we're going to read through verse 18. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. And let's read this together. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord from the tomb and we do not know where they have put him. Then Peter and the other disciple went out and were going to the tomb and the two were running together in verse four and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter. We could tell who was more in shape and came to the tomb first and bending over the over to look, he saw the strips of linen cloth lying there, though he did not go in. Then Simon Peter also came following him, and he went into the tomb and saw the strips of linen laying, on, laying there. And the face cloth that was on his head, not lying with the strips of linen cloth, were folded up separately in one place. So then the other disciple who had come to the tomb first also went in, and he saw, and he believed, for they had not for they did not know the scripture that it was necessary for him to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside of the tomb weeping. Then while she was weeping, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white seated on one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, women, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have put him. When she had said these things, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there and she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Why are, who are you looking for? And she thought it was the gardener and said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will and I will take him. And Jesus said, Mary, she turned around and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not touch me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to, go, but go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and announced it to the disciples. I have seen the Lord. And they had said these things to her. Lord, we just pray that you bless these few words today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You may be seated. Three things that I want to just talk about the resurrection here. Three things. Three practical things. Number one, it was a radical event. And it was, a, it was such a radical event, nothing like this had ever happened in history before. Absolutely radical. Number two, the, the resurrection was a revelation of God's mercy and God's grace. It was a revelation of God's mercy and God's grace. And number three, the resurrection is deeply, deeply personal. Number one, I was thinking this morning, I don't think that we could ever understand the resurrection beyond theology until we have lost something, until something that we have had has died or has left our presence. We cannot understand the power of the resurrection or even the miracle of the resurrection until we have, until we have been separated from something or someone that we've truly loved. And why is that? Because when we look at the resurrection, we see here Peter and John have two different responses. Peter comes in and he, he sees the tomb. He runs right in. I love just Peter's just his, his, um, his proactivity. He jumps, he runs right into the tomb. He's not worried about desecrating anything. He just runs, he runs right in. And he sees that the strips and the, and the linen are, are, are there folded up. And, he, and it says that, it says here in the, 
in the original language that it says that when he saw, it's not the word in Greek, blipo, that we use just to look at something, but it means that he was tr- gazing at it. It's a word that we get our, our English word theorize or to, to, to make a theory about something. So Peter here, walking into the tomb, sees something that he can't figure out. And, you know, when we celebrate Easter, when we celebrate the Resurrection Sunday, it's really we often see like the empty tomb. He has risen. And it's really like the slogan. That's like the, the mantra of, of Easter, isn't it? But I think between the he has risen part, the rejoicing and standing at an empty tomb, there's a there's a stark experience there that if you're a human being, you have experienced already. And that is staring into an empty tomb and there's nothing there. And there's questions. There's there's a bit of a disillusionment that's going on. There's this there's this 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 supreme level of disappointment. Wednesday morning we were in in here, sorry, Wednesday evening we were in here. We were talking about disappointment and how the Lord sometimes has to create disappointment in our life so that we go beyond religious concepts of who God is. And so Peter hears he's just theorizing in his mind. He's trying to get, he's trying to grapple his mind around what just happened. And then John comes in afterwards and he, he sees and he believes. Both are important. There are moments, there are things in our life that, that are presented to you and I, and if it hasn't happened, it'll happen to you. Where you are just staring at something incredibly disappointing and surprising, and you're theorizing in your mind. You're looking at it and you're trying to grapple what just happened. And maybe you're here, maybe that's, Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe something has happened to your, in your life, maybe even a few years ago, and you're just scratching your head. You know, maybe the, you, may, you may know rationally why it's happened, but it's, there's this impact that we're trying to grapple it. And, you know, the resurrection is such a radical event. It is so radical. It's something that had never happened until this moment in history. No man, had ever, no man had ever been resurrected from the dead like here, like Jesus was, three days. The resurrection of Jesus Christ demands from us an understanding that we would fully understand what it is, that we would research it out in our hearts and our minds, and that we would believe it. I think that, and I think Texas is generally a believing state. I mean, people believe in God here. I think maybe we'll meet people sometimes that just say, I don't really believe in God. And whether you believe in the resurrection or you don't believe in the resurrection, whether you understand what it is or what you don't understand about what it is, the truth is the same, is that if we don't believe in a miraculous, radical resurrection, then we're going to believe in something radically crazy instead of that, because that's just how we are as people. One writer wrote it this way. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you'll be forced to believe that something hit the disciples that was every bit as amazing, maybe different yet of equal force in its, electri- in its electrifying intensity. For if we try to explain the changed lives of the early Christians, you will find yourself making leaps of faith as great as if you had believed in the resurrection to start with. Disciples would have remained cowards who, and this is if, if they had not believed in the resurrection, the disciples would have remained cowards who admired Jesus as a man of supreme values and morals and virtue and as a loving person. But if something more had not happened to the disciples after Jesus' death, then something changed in these followers, in these followers who no longer, if they had not believed in something, 
if they had not believed that something more had happened, then they would have not been able to, they would have, they would have not been able to, to face physical death and fe- physical uh, and danger in their, in, their, in their lives as they begin to go into the book of Acts and we begin to see the first church begin. And something, but something happened electrifyingly and with great intensity and that led them to call Jesus Christ the Son of God and that was the resurrection. That was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is something that when you and I are facing an empty tomb in our life, it causes us to, it causes us to think and it causes us to to, to, to look at what's happening and come to some answers. And it cannot, we cannot just look at an empty tomb and say, and say, okay, I don't believe, or maybe we have to either say yes, or we have to say no. Number two, the, the resurrection is a revelation of God's mercy and grace. You know, and look at Mary here for a second. This really spoke to me yesterday and this morning as I was looking at this. Mary is more of a lover of Jesus. She was more devoted to him, more than all of the other disciples. Yet at the tomb, she was looking for a dead Jesus, a wonderful rabbi and a teacher, a small, a small Jesus that her worldview and, and her culture, her cultural limitations would allow. Here's the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ is that he comes to Mary. He comes to her. He, he understands that he needs to reveal himself to her because she does not know who she's looking for. She couldn't find him and nor could she recognize him. Think of this situation here. Mary is, is walking around and she's just heartbroken. She's, she's wondering, where's the body of Christ? And she sees the gardener and she's saying, where is Jesus? Where have they laid him? And she's looking at Jesus. She doesn't recognize him. She doesn't see him for who she is and then for who he is. And, then, and, and, and this is such a statement about the grace of Christ because when Jesus came to Mary, he's not revealing himself to her as a superhero. You know, when I think, I don't know if you saw the movie where, where Superman actually dies, right? And if you grew up watching Superman, that was like something you would never imagine that Superman dies, but he dies. And then he comes, he comes back and he comes back in such like a, an amazing, like worldwide revelation, like a worldwide uh, entrance into the world. I'm alive, but Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus comes to Mary and he says to Mary, he says, he says to her, he comes to her gently and she would have not found him unless he came to her regardless of her determination to find him. I love this because we don't find God. God finds us. We, you know, I think sometimes people have talked to us. Maybe you've talked to people where they will say to you, I'm looking for God in my life. You know, I'm looking for God. I'm looking, I'm seeking. And then as you're talking to this person, you're thinking in your mind, he is standing right here and, we, and he is talking to you. I'm not God, but we are talking about God and he is here right now. And this person may be saying, but I'm looking for God. I'm seeking for God. And that's okay because sometimes we walk away from a conversation like that, scratching our, head, our heads. And yet Jesus here is talking to Mary in the same situation. And Mary is looking for Jesus and she can't find Jesus. And Jesus says to her, he comes to her and he speaks to her. You know something, this is a statement about the grace of God, is that we can't find, there are circumstances in our life when you face the empty tomb, when you face that disillusionment, that great disappointment in your life, and you're, and you're wondering, where is God in this? And he's standing right in front of you. And before I go to the next verse here, I want to look at that for a second, because the grace and the mercy of Christ in our life is present when we are just filled with unbelief. 
When we are filled with sin and brokenness and falling down over and over, Jesus Christ stands there. Because you know what the, Pastor Adam said? It, do you know what the great thing about the resurrection, about Resurrection Sunday is? Is that our sin has no longer any dominion over us. We, can't, we don't live under the condemnation of sin. We don't live under the guilt of sin because we've been washed and we've been forgiven. And so Jesus here is talking to a woman. And it's very interesting because Jesus tells Mary in, in, in the next verse... He tells her to go tell the disciples that he is risen. And it's very interesting to see that the grace and the mercy of God always chooses the person that we would not choose. He would choose you and I. And here's Mary. She is in in Luke chapter 8. In the first few verses there, we see that Mary was demon possessed. She had seven demons. You ever meet somebody that had a demon like that was under the possession of a demon? Um, I don't know like if we have seen it very often. But a lot of times we read in the scripture that a demon-possessed person is someone that sometimes could be homeless or not properly dressed or just talking to themselves or out of their minds. And, and imagine Mary, this is where she was at when she meets Jesus in Luke chapter 8. And she, she believes on Jesus Christ and she's set free. And she has a reputation, right? She has a reputation like, oh, that's the insane woman that was talking to herself that had seven demons, had multiple personalities. And now she's following Christ and she's anointing his head with oil and washing his feet. And by the way, Jesus, um, Jesus tells her, go and tell my disciples. There's a lot of things wrong with that. If you, want to, if you are starting a movement, you're not going to start with someone that has a questionable reputation. Jesus did. Because Jesus rejoices in grace. Jesus rejoices in mercy. Jesus rejoices in not calling and not using the qualified and the, re- the reputable in this world. He uses people like you and I, broken people. To speak and to announce his resurrection. And so, so um, this is such a great, a, a great statement about the grace of God. Jesus saved her, not because that she could find him, but because he, he found her and he loved her. And then number three, the resurrection is deeply personal. Jesus doesn't come to Mary and say, hey, Mary, it's me. Look, it's me. You know, she's like, where's, where's Jesus? Where have they laid him? And she sees what he what she thinks is the gardener. And he doesn't say, it's me. He comes and says, Mary. Mary says, it's you. Mary. He says her name, Mary. And at that moment, at that moment, Mary understands who she's talking to. Mary is coming to Christ. She's thinking teacher. She's thinking gardener. She's thinking dead Jesus. She's thinking he's gone. This is what we face. And you know something? I don't know if you've been a believer for how long you've been a believer in Christ But Christ is continually challenging our concepts of who we think he is. And he's presenting to you and I empty tombs, discouragement, disappointment. And he's showing us the questionable, the scene there that's inside the tomb with the with the with the grave clothes. And we're scratching our heads. And then he comes to us and he says our name. He says, Mary, I thought about this. The beginning of time, the beginning of the history of man. Man sins, and what, is, what does God do? He comes into the garden, and he says, Adam. He says, Adam. You know, when we sin, when we fail, when we're in a place of unbelief, we're in a place where we just understand that we're just so broken, we're such full of failure. At that moment, God is speaking our name, and he's calling us to himself, because he's, he's a God of grace and mercy. And he says, Mary. He reveals himself and reveals to her who she is at the same moment. The resurrection is deeply personal because it's a statement about our identity. And I want to finish with this, the statement of our identity. When we understand who Jesus Christ is, we begin to discover who we are. 
I think we live in a culture, our American culture, our culture of, of self-discovery and self, self-development and self, self-improvement. And it's really like we're, all, we're just trying to find ourselves. We're trying to discover ourselves. We're, as a young person, trying to discover what college do I want to go to? Where do I want, what do I want to do with my life? And there's this question in our mind saying, like, who am I? And really, we can put that aside. Sometimes we're wondering, what am I supposed to do in the church? What am I supposed to do in this, in, this, in, this new, in this new body of people? What am I supposed to do? I think that's not the question. The question is, who is Christ? I think that's the first thing that we want to understand in Evergrace. We're a new church. We've started in November here. And that's the first thing that we would wish anyone would discover uh, here in this body, if this is a place that God speaks to you to come to, is that you would discover who God is. Not that we would, not that we would be um, soliciting your volunteerism, which, which is helpful, which is great, and you can t- we need it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> We're new. But I think God wants, us to, wants you to understand who you are in Christ. And we can only discover that in Matthew 16 when Jesus, when Jesus asked Peter, who do, you think I, who do you think I am? And Peter nails it. He says, thou art your Christ, the son of the living God. When we understand who God is, then we begin to understand who we are. And when we understand who God is present, he's present. He's just beyond our concepts. And I'll finish with this. He's deeply personal. He's very, he's very deeply personal. If there's just one thing that you can remember from this message this morning is that when you're standing at your empty tomb, you're looking at the emptiness of it and you're seeing the darkness inside and you're discovering darkness in your soul that you never saw before. I don't, maybe you're a Christian for 40 years. I don't know. You're seeing something you never saw before and you're looking in there and you're asking some big questions. Where is God? What happened here? He was supposed to show up. I had these desires in my life. What happened? Just remember he's standing there and he could be the gardener <laughs> that's there He could be in a situation that you have no idea about because we're thinking so small. We're thinking about a little Jesus. You know, when I lived in Poland for for all those years, we'd go into these Polish Catholic churches, which were so beautiful. It was incredible. And sometimes I would just go into these churches and sit in the back because there was always some kind of organ music playing. It was really quiet. And I would just sit in the back and pray. And and there are these these pictures in the the Catholic churches, especially in Krakow. There's this beautiful church, the, the Mariaski Church, which is... You go inside and there's this painting, a very famous painting, and it's the painting of Mary with a little, little tiny Jesus. And that's the concept that so many people have. You know, my wife grew up Catholic in Poland, and this is the concept that we could have even as a Christian, that Jesus is this little person, this little, little thing in my life. And when we stand before those moments of great disappointment, when we stand before those moments where we're scratching our heads and we don't know what to do next, Jesus is standing there and he's just and the thing is, he's just standing outside of our realm of understanding and just wait because he's coming to you and he's going to speak your name and you're going to recognize him and he's going to speak to you through words. And this is how we know God. This is how we know God. We know God right here through these words right here. When you open the Bible, when you're by yourself and you don't know what's happening, you're, maybe you're, you have family problems or maybe issues with your kids or things with your health or money, get on your knees and open this Bible. And when you do that, you're going to hear your name. Jesus is going to be speaking to you. And just say, yes. Yes, Jesus. Yes. And when that happens, the resurrection becomes for us deeply, deeply personal. I think Easter is so beautiful for for me this year because these last few years have been really interesting. There's been a lot of ups and downs, disappointments, surprises, and a lot of empty tombs. And before we could say he's risen, he's here, he, there he is, he's right there. I saw him, he spoke to me. Before that happens, we have to stand there, look inside and kind of just figure things out 
and let God speak to us. And then remember to respond like, like John did. He believed. He just trusted God. He didn't understand. He didn't understand, he didn't understand everything that was going on in this, in, this, in this circumstance. He just believed. He said, you know what? I believe that Jesus is alive. And I believe that he's risen. And that's just my simple message for Easter this morning. God bless you. And just let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we